Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You are watching the 87th episode of the Lax Factor Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about uh, Sunday's games. We're going to talk about Cornell and Ohio State, and then North Carolina at Denver. Both excellent games. Before I get into that, quick word about our sponsor, Sideline Swap. Best place to buy and sell used lacrosse gear, hard-to-find college gear, pre-owned heads, shafts, helmets, and more up to 70% off retail. Go to sidelineswap.com or click the link in the description below. Also, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Really just hit that like button blindly and then share this video with your friends. You can also go to laxfactor.com to uh, purchase swag. We have hats, t-shirts, mugs, all sorts of crap that you can get and support us that way as well. And you can also listen to the audio version of the podcast on uh, anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. So now that that business is done, let's get into the first game of the day. I wanted to talk about Cornell uh, traveled to Ohio State to play OSU, and they beat him 16-15. Chase Erland saved Cornell's ass with a uh, big save, five seconds left in regulation to secure said 16-15 win over the Buckeyes. The Cornell lead was 16-10 to late, and then you know OSU kind of went on their run. Uh, Jackson Reed scored twice, Wiseman scored, LeClaire scored, and then Myers scored with 25 seconds left to get this back to a one-goal game, and then, as with all of the face-offs in the game, pretty much, OSU won the ensuing face-off, and Osseo did. They take a timeout, they set up a play, and then I think it was Reed, let's see here, yeah, Jackson Reed, I think, was the one who got that shot off, it could have been Myers, but uh, somebody for OSU got a shot off with five seconds left, and Erlin made another big save to help uh, secure the victory for Cornell in that. Big, big, uh, big day for Trey LeClaire. Huge day for Trey LeClaire. He goes for six goals and two assists. But uh, the big winner, not wearing a red road jersey, was Justin Inacio for Ohio State. He's been battling injury. I think his first game back was uh, the Bucknell game, possibly. I can't remember, but I know he's only played, I think, two games so far this year. And he's a big cat for Ohio State. They need him to play well. And he can't, comes into this game and goes freaking 30 of 37 from the faceoff dot the kids battling injuries and like this is his first real good action against a very good team and he had himself a day absolutely murking Cornell at the faceoff dot didn't matter in the end though as Ohio State turned the ball over 25 times we talk about a lot of the things that teams try to do to neutralize TD Erlin and one of them is to play solid defense get stops pray that your goaltender makes some saves anything you can do to kind of even out that possession battle. Ohio State largely did it for Cornell. Now, I think Cornell is going to take credit for a lot of these turnovers, and they should, but I think officially only nine of them were forced. Uh, and then a lot of them you could say were forced just by the defense playing well and keeping on their hands and things of that sort. But a lot of this was just unforced mental errors by Ohio State. They turned the ball over seven times over the first half. That's not terrible, but they had 11 third-quarter turnovers merged with seven fourth-quarter turnovers, and that just, that's too tough to overcome. It doesn't matter how many face-offs you win. You turn the ball over 25 times in a game. That doesn't just equal out the face-off wins that you got and kind of level that off. That puts you in the hole, and that's where Ohio State was most of the game, especially third quarter and on. Um, good news for Cornell. They got the win on the road against a very good 
OSU team. The bad news for Cornell, and it's kind of mixed with the good news, is the very reason they couldn't really threaten last year and the reason they had a hard time in the Ivy last year was because they couldn't win faceoffs against anybody above them in the Ivy. You figure Penn has Gallagher. He's a ridiculous faceoff man. Yale has Erlen, and with those two alone, you're screwed in the Ivy if you can't win faceoffs, and Cornell couldn't. So this is bad. The good news for them so far this season had been they were looking a little better at the faceoff dot. They were looking a better, little better defensively, and then this happens. They face their first really good faceoff man of the year, and they get absolutely destroyed uh, in the middle of the field there. So that's rough, and they're going to have to answer for that. They're going to have to figure something out. They tried, I think, four or five different guys at the faceoff X, and it didn't work for any of them. Good news for Ohio State. Despite the 25 turnovers, they were able to stay in this game and, and take it right right against the wall here. Uh, the bad news for Ohio State is they won 30 faceoffs and still lost the game. Now, it, it, I've always marveled at that fact that the possessions, the way possessions pan out when you have crazy faceoff guys, I've marveled at the fact that it doesn't translate to more wins. Obviously, having a ridiculously good faceoff guy translate to wins, but I've been surprised at times how much TD Erlen has dominated games and Yale has still managed to lose those games. So, you know, it plays a little bit, but uh, Ohio State won all of those faceoffs and still lost uh, the game, lost the game. So they got to figure that out. Um, another more good news for Ohio State was uh, Kersan, who struggled early. He puts up uh, 12 second half saves to kind of help Ohio, Ohio State stop the bleeding offense uh, defensively and help them chip back. He's a solid go- goaltender, prone to a little bit of streakiness, although I think a lot of goaltenders are. Um, but you could put a little bit of that, that on the Ohio State defense being slightly porous. But uh, Kersan played really well, and he was one of the reasons they were able to chip, chip back into this game. As for Jeff Teat, he continues to make Cornell history. He scored four goals and two assists, uh, put up six points on the day. And with that performance, he officially moves into third all-time in Cornell history and career points with 262, surpassing the late, great Eamon McEnany, uh, uh, Cornell 77, with 256 points. So that's a that's a huge deal for T. And that doesn't, you know, T notices that. T feels that. That is a huge honor um, to to sit above McEnany now with uh, as much as highly regarded as he is in, in Cornell lacrosse and just lacrosse history in general. In the end, both teams proved, proved formidable. It was a good game. It, uh, I, at one point, I thought, oh, Cornell's going to run away with it, and I kind of stopped paying attention, and then all of a sudden, two minutes left, and it's a ball game again. So I watched the finish, so that was pretty exciting. Jeff Teat goes 4-2. and two. John Piatelli continues his tear. He goes 5-3. and three. Jonathan Donville, 3-1. and one. Erlen with nine saves. He was a little shaky, but he made saves where he really needed to uh, in a couple of man-down situations, and uh, at the end of the game, five seconds left, you make that save. You just won the game there. For Ohio State, Trey LeClaire, 6-2, and two, Jackson Reed, 3-1, and one, Myers, 1-2, one and, and Kersan with his 15 saves. He looked uh, pretty solid in the net. Another thing, last thing I'll say about Ohio State in this game is there was a couple of scenarios when the game was still really close before uh, Ohio State or before Cornell got their 16-10 lead where if Ohio State could have stayed out of the box, they would have had a man-up opportunity, but they ended up getting unsportsmanlike calls to go with Cornell's man down uh, uh, scenario. So there was a couple of situations where, hey, Cornell was about to be man down for two minutes. Oh, unsportsmanlike penalty on Ohio State. Now we're playing five on five ball. So there was two or three scenarios where they ended up playing five on five because Ohio State couldn't keep their shit together after things got chippy. So that hurt Ohio State in the end. If they can stay out of the box in those scenarios, this game may go differently. It probably doesn't ever get to 16 to 10. 
Next game I wanted to talk about, North Carolina, number 15. Uh, what am I talking about? North Carolina 15, Denver th- 13. So North Carolina goes on the road to play Denver, and Denver's kind of owned this matchup the last couple of games, I believe. Um, and actually for Denver, they've lost to the two ACC opponents that they face, Duke and North Carolina, not Carolina now, 15-13 in both scenarios. Uh, this game wasn't as close as the final score indicated, though. Carolina led 9-1 at one point in the first half, two untimely Carolina penalties resulted in two man-up goals for Denver to close the half out. That brings the score back to 9-3, to three, a little bit more respectable for Denver. But probably Denver, even then, still didn't feel too good. Uh, the penalty woes. They would continue for UNC through the second half as they'd allow three more extra man goals over the course of the second half. UNC just couldn't stay out of the box. Seven penalties on the day, and Denver was five of seven uh, with their man-up team, which was one of the main reasons that Denver was able to chip back and keep this. Yeah, every time Carolina would get a spread, uh, Denver would you know kind of chip back away to get it back to two or three goals. If Carolina was able to stay out of the box, this game isn't a two-goal spread. It's probably four or five or maybe worse. On the flip, if North Carolina wasn't a perfect 18 of 18 clearing the ball, the outcome of this game would have been different as well. Never front on perfection in the clearing game. It's one thing everyone will say, hey, every time you clear the ball, you get a possession, you have a chance to score, whatever your normal six-on-six six, uh, you know, scoring percentage is for the most part. The kicker is on the flip side, if you turn the ball over on a clear, the chance that your opponent scores right off the bat off that turnover goes through the roof. So when you're 18 of 18 clearing the ball, that's not just giving you more chances to score. That's taking away some really good opportunities for your opponent by not turning the ball over in the clearing game, because not more often than not, but pretty damn often turnovers in the clearing game result in it, if not goals, really good scoring opportunities on the upside for Denver. They played a rough game, like didn't play great. They had a hard time finishing. They lost the ground ball battle. They couldn't force Carolina into any turnovers in the clearing game, but they never totally gave up and they capitalized on all of the really big North Carolina mistakes, mainly all of those penalties that North Carolina kept kept uh, getting. On the upside for UNC, they get a big road, road win. They survived despite seven penalties that resulted in five goals. Justin Anderson has himself a day, five goals, two helpers. Chris Gray, two and two. Will Perry, one and two. Tanner Cook, three assists. Uh, for Denver, Walker, Ethan Walker, he goes for five goals on the day. So he's had he's played well so far this season, especially in the goal-scoring front. Jungle Jack Hanna, four goals and a helper, and Drew Erickson, one and two. Both goalies, eh, they had mediocre days, but you're dealing with some high-powered offenses. Denver can score and finish. And uh, North, North Carolina, I think at one point, had eight different people put up points, possibly eight different people put up points in the first half. It was... Uh, It was pretty bonkers. North Carolina played really good. North Carolina is proving they're solid. What North Carolina has to do now is just prove that they can beat good teams consistently. So far, they've played a lot of – even the good teams they've played, their records aren't the greatest. Hopkins, one of the wins that they've gotten, and Hopkins is struggling. Denver, you know, they've played up and down, and they have tend to play, you know, down a little bit. So in the long run, we'll see what Carolina's strength of schedule looks like overall, and we'll see how they do once they get into ACC play. But in the end, excellent game out of both teams. The other action that we saw here, we saw Duke. Let me just get through here to Duke. We see them play and beat Furman. Uh, they beat Furman handily 19-6. to Dyson Williams continued his tear as Duke's best player, their new offensive weapon, 4-0. Joey Manown gets back on the field, 2-1. Uh, Lowry, 2-0. Uh, Montgomery, 1-1. As you look down this Duke box score here, they got pretty much everybody involved. They have, 
I don't even want to, I'm going to count this just so you can see it. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, so 18 guys on the Duke roster put up points per this box score here. 18 guys off uh, put up points off 19 goals. Furman, they struggle. Sor- Sorrells, 2-0. Erickson, 2-0. Uh, their goalkeeper played tough. Van, Bo- uh, Van de Bovenkamp, he's actually a very solid goalkeeper. Actually, he didn't play tough. 11 saves, 17 goals against, so his defense really let him down. But I actually like Van de Bovenkamp. I think he's a pretty solid goaltender. And then uh, Bonafidi gets a start for Duke. He makes five saves versus just three goals against. Garrett Smith, one save against three goals against in um in relief and no Turner upgrade in this game. So we're going to have some problems there. Most likely then the other game that was played was what Virginia and air force played and Virginia dismantled air force 15, five. So air force they they always play tough in February and they're starting to struggle a little bit, but they're, they're still just trying to play that brutal schedule to get ready for their conference, the SoCon play. And it's just crazy. The SoCon has really just mixed with the ACC. SoCon and the ACC play each other a ton. SoCon play, you know, the three top teams at the top of the SoCon play some of the toughest non-conference schedules that you're going to see anywhere. Uh, Virginia, Peyton Cormier, he goes three and two, so he continued to be hot for Virginia, the redshirt freshman. Michael Kraus, three and one. Uh, Garno, two and one. Matt Moore, two and one. Laviano, two and oh. So they all played tough. Alex Rode, continues to look really, really good in net for Virginia. He, his, his improvement has been off the charts. He could be one of the most improved players in the NCAA. I believe Alex Rode is seven saves versus just two goals against. And, uh, Braden host, he played tough again in cage for air force. He did all he could to keep him, you know, keep the score reasonable. He puts up 12 saves on the day. So UVA and, uh, air force, they played themselves a good one. What do we have on the docket for tonight? If you are a lacrosse fan tonight is a great Tuesday night for you. We have, Albany at UMass. We have Manhattan at Hartford. Binghamton at Army. Army is probably going to put the big hurt on Binghamton. Richmond at Mount St. Mary's. That's probably going to be a really interesting game to watch. The Mount is a pretty solid team. Richmond, one of the toughest teams out of the SoCon. Both teams have played pretty decent uh, uh, non-conference schedules. Richmond obviously has the edge there. That should be a really good game to watch if you can find it. And for anybody complaining, all you grown men complaining about not being able to find games to watch either free or even paid on TV, go to Inside Lacrosse, go to their D1 calendar, and every single game for every single – like every day you get there, by by the midday, they're going to have all of the games listed with all of the links to the webcast. So if you want to watch some of these games – Go to the schedule for Inside Lacrosse, and you'll actually see it. Towson at UMBC, Sacred Heart at Stony Brook, and LIU at Fairfield. And actually, I'm going to sit here and tell you what games you can watch today. Uh, they don't have the watch up for any of these games yet, but I can almost guarantee that you'll be able to watch the Albany UMass game somewhere. The Army Binghamton game you should be able to watch. It may end up being on uh, Stadium, which a lot of their games are. So just come back to the calendar to d- later today for Inside Lacrosse. The, the URL, I'm going to read it off to you. InsideLacrosse.com forward slash league forward slash DI for one forward slash calendar forward slash 2020. Remember that. Write that shit down. Stop complaining about not being able to find games to watch and use your brain and freaking use the resources available that everyone always talks about. But go to Inside Lacrosse, find their D1 calendar, and you will have your even just search 
uh, Inside Lacrosse D1 calendar in Google, and it will bring you to this page, and you will never wonder where games are, what games are on, how you can watch them again. So that's it. Be sure to visit our sponsor, Sideline Swap. Link is in the description below. Also, go to laxfactor.com. You can get yourself some swag and support us that way, uh, or you can just watch our videos and listen to our audio podcast through there. Go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor or anywhere that you get your pad- podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, iHeartRadio, you name it, we are there. And then, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. And that is it. I am done. I will be back on Thursday with the uh, um, weekend preview show and the setting of the lines for uh, this week's games. We're going to set 10 lines and then a couple prop bets and things of that sort. So, as always, thank you for watching. And Hoost is out. Ba-da-da-ba-ba-da-da-ba. Ba-da-da-ba-ba-da-da-ba.